Millennials are achieving freedom with a new definition of success. Our careers, relationships, education, and even our politics look nothing like our parents. We are repapering the roadmap towards our personal goals and embracing what moves us along the way. We are adopting what works and throwing out the rest. We are tired, but not worn in our quest to get there. I'm Heather Bonaparte. I'm Douglas Bonaparte, and welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Each week, Douglas and I explore the news and topics that keep us awake. We'll also invite guests to share the way they've done it differently to achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation. Not ready for bed? Tune in, because neither are we. Learn more and subscribe today at WeShouldBeSleeping.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to We Should Be Sleeping. This is episode D. Of course, I'm joined by my wife, Heather Bonaparte. Heather, how are you doing? I'm great, Douglas. How are you? I'm doing fine and dandy like sour candy. That's weird. That's Ned Flanders from The Simpsons. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> let's just dive right into it. Heather, take it from the top. All right. Let's start this week off with another installment of Why My Child Cried. Now, I'm going to throw a little curveball at you. Usually, it's something ridiculous like Hazel's fish stick being a little bit too hot, <laughs> something like that. But this week, it was not that. My mother has been quarantining with us since mid-March, and we finally all decided about a week or so ago that it was maybe time for her to go home. Gotta go. No, I think my mom was very tired and... Yeah, she's 64. I mean, it's a lot being with small children. She still works a full-time job, and it was a lot for her. And We wore her into the ground. We really did wear her into the ground. Anyway, we decided that it would probably be best for my mom to spend some time recharging back at her house. So Hazel and my mom were spending a lot of quality time together this whole time, but in particular, knowing that she was leaving. And my mom and her were talking about all the fun things they would do when Hazel could go spend time at my mom's house again like she often does she'll go and spend the weekend there it's essentially like a little girl's trip to las vegas anytime she goes to my mom's house what happens at rara's stays at rara's like lord only knows honestly it sounds like the worst version of las vegas but i guess for a four-year-old it might as well be a night on the strip <laughs> that's literally what it is to her anyway she got the idea that she would get to go there this weekend when my mom was leaving. Like three days after, nine weeks straight with her grandma. Yeah, she thought she was going there on Saturday. And so she came into the house and she said, Mom, I promise that if you let me go to Rara's house, I'll wear my mask the whole time. And I just... So I remember looking over to you. I overheard that and I looked over and I was like, that's not good. And I just lost it. The innocence of her saying that to me, as if she thought the decision was just mine to make and something that like if she just put this like thin piece of cloth over her face that whatever they normally do and however they choose to spend their time would be totally normal. It's so complicated and it was also just so perceptive because even though we talk about, as she calls it, the virus, it's become very clear to me in the last several weeks how much she's picking up just from chatter around her, not whatever narratives being presented to her, but just from what she's seeing and hearing around her. And we both cried. <laughs> she cried. I cried. It was a rough day. And we got past it. I was there to pick up the pieces. Thanks for that, Douglas. He was. 
more or less just observing from the distance like, oh God. Yeah, no, he was. It was sad. It was a bit of a bummer, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's what Hazel says. That's the way the cookie crumbles. So that was this week's example of... Why she cried. Of why she cried and it sucked. So it does get serious, the whole crying thing from time to time. But usually, again, it's something like a fish stick being too hot. <laughs> All right. Hot fish sticks. What do you All know? Right. What are you going to do? All right. Moving on. Another reason we should be sleeping but aren't is because of birds. Something you need to know about our house here in suburban New Jersey is that it sits upon a knoll, or as Heather thinks of it, a baseball mound of sorts. Well, I'd just like to be clear, this isn't some regal mountain type knoll. It's a baseball mound. (laughs) She thinks we live on a mound of dirt. But okay, we sit on this tiny hill, which I guess is preferred real estate if you're a bird, because it sits the trees a little higher. We're more in the trees. Think of us like in a treehouse in Costa Rica. Except we're in New Jersey. Yeah, see, I don't know if Toucan Sam is making an appearance here, Heather, (laughs) but we definitely sit a little more elevated. I don't know. Sometimes in the morning I question. So from the hours of about 4.50 a.m. to 6.10 a.m. in the morning, we might as well live in a bird sanctuary. We are literally immersed in birds. It's like they belong to a cult that prays to the sun god. So like once the sun cracks the horizon, they begin this ritual screaming at the sun. And all different chants too. There was like five different soundtracks going on at the yeah, same you time. Got cawing, you got the songbirds. It's just a symphony of bird. So again, once that sun cracks the horizon, they go nuts. And then I guess what they do is they start their feasting on worms and bugs And then after they do that, they like stop. It's the weirdest thing. It's from like right at 6.15 in the morning, they're just done. It's just early enough to wake us up way earlier than we need to be. And then by the time, yeah, (laughs) they just stop. It's because I think they're satiated. They've gotten what they needed. Their bellies are full. So It's like me with my coffee. I guess so, yeah. I guess. Pretty cranky coffee. Right, exactly. I get it. Okay, you're a bird. Some mornings, however... We are blessed with being the chosen house for when the high priest, otherwise known as the woodpecker, comes around. And when this guy comes, it's literally the ringing of temple bells. This jerk perches on our gutter and proceeds to jackhammer away that creates a vibration that might as well measure on the Richter scale. It is so intense. The whole house. It's like Manhattan-level construction jackhammering on our house. The whole house vibrates. And trust me, we know about that, too, because we've lived in buildings where there were whole new high-rises in the city being built, like right next door that start first thing in the morning. This woodpecker jamming away on our gutter is worse. I swear it's worse. And we know it's bad because some mornings our four-year-old will come running in the room thinking a explosive device has detonated on the side of the house. Daddy, it's loud. So the point being, we should be sleeping, but we are victims to nature. Birds. <laughs> birds, man. Birds. Enough of this bird enough talk. Of, enough of these birds and this bird talk. We'll live with them. Let's talk a little bit about quarantine resolutions. What's that? Kind of like a second chance at your New Year's resolutions, <laughs> I guess. That's awful, but okay. Well, I'll roll with it. Here's the point. 
So whether or not you've declared them as such, many people I know have given thought to some sort of new commitment, some intention, knowing that their schedules have now changed and they're going to be spending all this extra time at home. But have they really achieved it? So mine, for example, were... Yeah, what do you got? To exercise more, which I've been doing. Crushing it. I've learned to bake bread. Keep that to yourself. (laughs) People like my bread, okay? You vowed not to get involved in this bread game thing. You secretly were like throwing shade at the bread bakers only to become the thing you were throwing shade at. Because I was jealous. I couldn't get the yeast and now I have it, okay? Okay. And finally, to work on my longstanding book project, which has not really been done. So I was achieving some of them, not achieving others. But when I asked you to participate in this segment about quarantine resolutions, you said, nah, I don't really have any. So I got to thinking, why do some people feel so compelled to set these aggressive goals and intentions during this time when their schedules have been turned upside down, arguably are harder now than they were before, but also more flexible technically. So why do some people feel the need to try and cram all these other ideas and commitments in and others don't? Well, for me, I think it comes down to what my schedule was before this, which was a pretty fluid schedule. I'm an entrepreneur. I run my own business. I basically set my own calendar. Much of it, if not all of it, is well, if not totally, in my control. So my pre-COVID daily life could allow for me to do things that I wanted to do in conjunction to the things that satisfy me or I was curious about. And certainly from like the marketing point where I could be really creative I got to do it pretty much whenever I wanted to do it. At least I could schedule it accordingly. So you feel like having a more flexible schedule, whether that's due to being an entrepreneur or just having a more flexible schedule generally in a broader sense would allow for you to carve out a little bit of time for some things that interest you and also bring you joy. Exactly. Let me give an example. Like coffee is my hobby. Those who know me know I'm crazy about it. And I'm able to if I'm in the city, go to a coffee shop nearby that I haven't been to and see what's going on there because I want to get a cup of coffee and because my schedule allows it. Or if I'm even at home and I want to try a new brewing method or switch something up, I can. I can explore something I'm very passionate about in these little pockets of time because my schedule allows it. And it's not just limited to coffee. Like I said, I can be creative with my marketing, go maybe shop for a new piece of equipment to create a video or or a piece of audio or whatever. It's available to me when I want. So this whole notion that like I need or I have this now newfound time, it just doesn't exist because it's fluid. Well, so maybe now with more people transitioning to more flexible schedules permanently or semi-permanently, maybe the positive outcome of this is that we're not going to feel compelled to have to try and squeeze commitments in and set these high benchmarks because just naturally speaking with the flexibility that comes with this new schedule, we're going to find pockets of time to do the things that interest us or the things that we feel like we're missing from our lives when they were much more rigid in a set nine to five. Do you agree? I mean, I hope that's the case. I mean, I generally feel that way over the last couple of months, despite how busy I've been, I've still been able to have these moments that are allowing me to work out when I want to work out. It's been good. I think you're seeing more of 
what I experience than really the other way around. I'm seeing nothing of what your normal schedule looks like. But just as the last point, I think this is further proving why the work from home experiment that a lot of us have been running these last nine weeks works. And it really just caters to increased well, levels of production. Asterisk, it works if there was childcare. True. It works if there was childcare. It works if your job allows it to work. Of course. That's if it's implied. a job, right. But I think this is just one of those unspoken or additional pieces of the work from a home experiment that adds to productivity overall. Because from satisfaction in your life comes increased productivity at work. Absolutely. 100%. That's the argument. I agree with that 100%. So speaking of our day jobs, you've been getting a lot of questions about one topic recently. And even though this is not a strictly financial podcast, I think, in fact, we've really barely touched upon any of- This is the first time we're really talking about anything Any financial, right, any money-related topic, but we will touch on them from time to time because, I mean, you're the guy, so why not? But let's talk a little bit about something that's been coming up. Let's do that. So what has become a popular topic of conversation in the kind of arena of money or personal finance? is regarding cash reserves and how much cash people should have. And hopefully it doesn't need too much explanation as to why that is. There's 40 million Americans now without a job. So having cash savings is obviously something that you can lean on in times where you lose your job. I think the central article that really comes up here is this one that was written by Bloomberg, and I forget how many years ago it was, but it was 40%, this was the headline, 40% of Americans don't have $400 in savings. And it was controversial because people tried to debunk it, look at the data, whatever. What I wanted to know, and what my working thesis here is, will coronavirus finally promote cash savings for Americans? even more so for millennials now who've witnessed two major economic events or downturns within nearly 10 years of each other at arguably the start of their adult lives early on. So for older millennials, for Heather and I here, like that was boom, right when we graduated college. Right, we've seen them both. Yeah, the Great Recession. Now we're 10 years in, that first big level of having kids and buying a home and we're in our mid-30s here. And All of our major life adjustments have coincided with these two huge economic events. Yeah, I'd argue like the last 10, 11 years have been absolutely crazy in terms of life activities and things like that. So the thing here is that what sets people back the most is when they end up needing to draw upon long-term investments like raid their 401ks, assuming they have one, or worst case, take on debt or rack up credit card debt just to survive because there's no available savings. So if you've lost your job and you really just don't have any savings or any retirement money, you're pretty much going to go take on debt to do that. What other option would you have? Right. So I'm making this strong push lately here, and I've been pondering, what if we encourage people early on to take the first five to seven years of their working life and just save cash, just focus on fundamentals like cash flow, money coming in and money going out. So what you're saying is not just saving cash, but also learning about the fundamentals of your personal finances. Understand before you do. Yeah. I just think after seeing what we've seen now twice at this stage of the game, 
people deserve to be as durable as possible for when events like pandemics or financial meltdowns rear their ugly head. Why should we even talk about investing, arguably the most exciting or sexiest part, but why wouldn't we just focus right now on fundamentals and building cash in these early stages? How much cash should people actually have on hand? And that's the thing. I'm not here to say it's easy to even amass this rule of thumb, which is three to six months of your living expenses. So that's your rule of thumb, three to six months. I mean, that's like the profession rule of thumb. That's not even my ask. What I talk That's to what we lawyers about. call a standard. Yes. That's like the standard is this notion of three to six months living expenses. I would actually like to see nine to 12, which is a big wow. ask. Now, is that always or is that with particular respect to what we're going through now? Or is that also your normal because of what we all went through with the Great Recession? Like, do you think that your interest in having many more months cash reserve is because of all the uncertainty that we millennials have experienced at a formative time in our lives? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it definitely does touch on stigma and bias that I have in witnessing these events. Like, would you tell a boomer client to have nine to 12 months or are you telling millennials to have nine to 12 months? I'm telling everyone and I'm telling retirees to have even more because they really are relying on their assets even more. I would go as far as to say like you should have two years of cash if you're retired. You don't need to touch anything. You can survive for two years just on the cash that you have. Anyways, that's my take on at least what I do in practice. Now, while I'm hopeful that going through something as tough for many people like COVID-19 and losing your job and what's happening right now. While I'm hopeful that this will be something that causes people to get on saving cash and having that bigger reserve, I'm not really confident we're going to see that uptick in savings post-corona because despite this second wake-up call in such a relatively short period of time, what's interesting is that stock trading levels, individuals actually trading individual stocks, are at all-time highs. And it's primarily due to apps like Robinhood, which is new on the scene. It makes it very easy to just for free trade stocks. Is that like online poker? It's a good point. I mean, I guess you could turn it into an online casino. But the fact that we're giving access to people to, in the palm of their hand, link their bank account, deposit cash, and literally swipe yourself into shares of stock. But that's exactly my point. Doesn't that seem so impulsive? Doesn't it seem so playing upon one's desire for immediate gratification to make decisions that don't necessarily make sense with your long-term goals, but just may feel good in that moment? I mean, like, it almost seems so enabling. No, I get your point. I'm a little risk-averse, but the idea of it's pretty exciting. So I kind of see both sides of it. Well, I think it gives people the opportunity to try and game or gamble their way out of the hard work that goes into this non-exciting function of just stacking cash, of just systematically putting boring old cash in a savings account. Like if I hit a home run with this company, I won't need to save cash for five years. I can get this done in one year. And that in my belief, is just a recipe for disaster. Right. People are always historically looking for a shortcut. Isn't that just the truth among any generation? I mean, I know people like to pin that on millennials and- That's everyone. Other young people, but that's everybody. Everybody's always looking for a shortcut. I don't think there is any more precarious place 
to take shortcuts than with money and personal finance. I much rather trade opportunities early on for certainty, for stability, because I think by providing greater stability early on, you set yourself up for greater success in the long run. You'll be able to take advantage of more opportunities later on. And these apps and just kind of sitting at home and being under quarantine and there not being any sports or anything better to do, I think is just creating more of this FOMO and this now this access that's here. I think it's setting up kind of the opposite of what I would hope would be that wake-up call. So basically what you're saying is just join Twitter if you want immediate gratification. Yeah, if you want your dopamine hit, just jump on your social media platform of choice and start screaming into the internet. I like that. That's much better. And you'll be the one laughing at the end of the day if you've got the cash reserve. Yeah, and I just wrap it up with this. Again, I think that sleeping well at night, speaking of we should be sleeping, so if and when you do finally get some sleep, I hope. Which we pray you do. Yeah, and I hope they're really solid minutes, seconds, and hopefully hours of sleep because you have these foundational things under control, because you have savings in the bank. And the next time something crazy like a pandemic or a financial meltdown or who knows what it's going to be, because I promise you there will always be something, you'll sleep well at night knowing that you did the boring thing up front so you can go take advantage of all those opportunities later and participate in all the coolness and sexiness that is stocks or stonks. I'll be sure to share that on my next group text message chat. Right. How'd we do? I think we did all right. I like this. I like this too. Should keep doing this. I think we will. All right. That's it for me. Good night, everybody. Try and get some rest, okay? Thank you for staying up with us and checking out We Should Be Sleeping. Connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and learn more at we should be sleeping.com. We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping. We should be sleeping.